Welcome to another episode of the Tasting Bliss Podcast. This is your host, Garn. And today I have with me another wonderful friend of mine, uh, someone I met while studying at Rutgers, and we had some classes together and beautiful, wonderful conversations exploring so many deep topics, Indian philosophy, mysticism, psychology, a wide variety of topics that we've talked about in in in, in the duration of our friendship. And so... It's a, it should, this should be another great conversation. I have the honor to have him in this episode here today. And so, hey, Montrevedi, how's it going, my brother? Good, man. Happy to be here. And uh, I think we've had a lot of great conversations. Oh, so I mean, yeah, so let's, not, let's not underplay it. We've had a <laughs> lot of great conversations for many, many years and uh, uh, for hours and hours, oftentimes Literally, into yeah. the hours of the late night. <laughs> yeah. I remember this, um, I have this memory coming back to me, which was... I remember I had like this um, paper due the next day, and we started getting caught up in a conversation in the in the in the library. Yeah. We were so loud; someone complained. It's like you guys didn't leave the the library because you guys are so loud yeah. talking. And I literally got late on the paper because we talked for like four hours. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but that conversation was worth it. So. It was worth it. And, yeah, and I th- I think I remember we would always be like, yeah, man, we, you got to get back to that paper. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah, and then the next topic <laughs> Just was keep gone. going. Yeah. yeah. So that was... Uh, it's like paper or exploring the depths of reality <laughs> with him right now. Yeah, exactly. So priorities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hopefully, hopefully some of the conversation didn't get onto the paper then when you submitted it. Yeah, no, it's yeah. fine. I mean, the thing is, those things happened in the past. You forget what... If, I, I don't remember what the paper was about. But I remember those conversations, right? Mm. So... Yeah, yeah. There's more beauty in that. But, yeah. So, so many beautiful conversations we've had. And we'll have a, you know, God willing, another one today. Many more. And they transform over time, and especially they're contextualized based on what we experience in life, which is really interesting. Yeah. So it can't just always be like, hey, like this just happened. Oh, that's really interesting. So, yeah. but why? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> why do you think why? that happened? Yeah. And Into the, the, the real roots of, of these experiences that we're having mm-hmm. and the, the root of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it's been beautiful. And um, so just to introduce Hamel. Mm. Um, and some of the classes we've had, it was a lot about Indi- Indian philosophy, yoga, and uh, exploring some psychological stuff that we've talked about. And so that's the the the, the things that you're researching right now, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so share with the audience what you're getting into, what you're studying right now. And yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, I think definitely what we both have in common, first of all, is this desire to go deep into things and try to find the root of things, right? Yeah. And uh uh, we are also very interested in uh, psychology, understanding, you know, what makes people tick. Uh, and so, and also religion. So we have these things in common. We yeah. went in different directions, but uh, the paths also converge. So uh, I'm doing a doctorate at uh, uh, Georgetown University mm-hmm. in Hindu theology. And so I particularly focus on psychology of religion. So mysticism and neuroscience. And also, uh, you know, yoga philosophy and Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. So I try to like intersect uh, these ancient teachings in Sanskrit with modern psychological studies and see where they converge. Yeah. So it's a long path, man. But uh, that's what I'm working on. There's a bunch of projects which we'll definitely explore in future talks. So what is it about these types of topics? Let's say whether it's yoga, psychology, mysticism that really kind of evoke your interest and are making you want to explore at a, at a deeper level? Yeah, man. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, definitely from a young age, there has been an interest in psychology. 
And particularly that when things happen, whether they're good or bad things or life circumstances, there's always been the desire to know why. Why? Yeah. Right? Why does it happen? And um, uh, what are the different ways it can happen and how to use that to predict future situations as well mm. uh, and, and to make inferences. And so there, and that process is just, as you know, so nourishing. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, like, it's like, this whole new world is open to you when you find out something else, right? Something new. So then I just went deeper into psychology. Um, and, and, you know, we did undergrad, right? Yeah. And that went deeper and deeper into it until I started to be exposed more to uh, the Bhagavad Gita and teachings in Hinduism and, you know, Indian philosophy in general, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, along with Greek philosophy, Chinese philosophy. And they, these thinkers had a, and these practitioners had such an intuitive approach to things that, you know, they didn't have studies and uh, literature, scientific literature and stuff for the most part. Mm. So they were doing this from their intuition, which intuition, we yeah. are doing as well. Yeah. And then you confirm that through the psychological studies and stuff. So it just became like, this is it. It has to go in this direction, you know? Mm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Would you like to share with the audience a bit, like where for you, have these some of these let's say yoga or psychology or mysticism mm -hmm. or, or Indian philosophy in which ways have they converged for you or mm -hmm. have they given you a certain level of insight of why things are the way that they are definitely you know um well first of all we're having our like phenomenal experiences right we're like going around doing different things and we're having these experiences asking why introspecting so we have this reality that we're functioning within right mm -hmm. uh why our patterns and all that stuff then as i started to you know in our course when we studied with uh professor brian right edwin brian yeah uh we started to learn more about yoga philosophy like yoga sutra of patanjali yeah and slowly by slowly you start to hear like you know the uh, second sutra, Yoga Shchitta Vritti Nirodha, right? Yoga is the restraint of the mental modifications of the mind. Mm. And then, you know, then the seer abides in its own nature. And we start to learn about the fluctuations of the mind, uh, how some of them are afflictive, non-afflictive, mm. um, and how we acquire knowledge, right? Knowledge, error, memory. Then it's like, wait a minute, these guys, these yogins are talking about psychology. Mm. They're talking about the depths of the mind yeah. in their own, yeah. framework. The own framework. And we're yeah. doing the same thing, you know, maybe different lifestyles sometimes, right? Yeah. But, um, but in essence, that's what it is. Exactly. And getting to the root of the mind. Exactly. And what is the mind and why is it afflicted? Why exactly. Is, how do you get out of that affliction? Exactly. Which is what psychology is trying to do, right? Exactly. Yeah, so psychology is doing that and... Um, there is a, like a, what is that word called? There's a continuity is missing, right? Between this, you know, centuries of time, sometimes the continuity is not there. Mm. So in what modern psychology will benefit from is to look into these texts and practices and see how their questions on certain psychological and neurological themes can be enhanced yes. and vice versa. Yeah. With yoga, we have smruti as memory, right mm -hmm. uh they'll talk about different types of memory and then in modern psychology they'll be like well we have episodic memory we have semantic memory we have all these different types of memory mm -hmm. so what the ancient teachings can learn also from modern teachings is to nuance and specify the principles mm -hmm. so ultimately it's a conversation that i think i want to be a part of and i think you yeah, definitely want to be a part same, of same, same. yeah it's about like how do we bridge that gap yeah because you go into spirituality, into mysticism and yoga, and you see 
so much um, knowledge, right? It's, mm. There's so much that's there that kind of feels like not it's not really being taken into account mm. in modern psychology to the level that maybe it should be. Mm. And certain issues that maybe we're dealing with that we, we don't find, we're not finding the solutions for, mm. like those traditions have those solutions. Right. right? They are right. offering those techniques or those principles or those kind of belief systems to free you from that affliction. Mm. And for me, it's just like, I see people afflicted. I want to help, mm-hmm. right? And without causing a level of dependency on external things that aren't really getting to the root of the matter. And so why aren't we taking a look at these traditions that are are providing that level of kind of solace that that person is looking for, mm-hmm. you know? Right, definitely. And it's like what you're saying. When you say that these these traditions are offering a like a, a solution, right? Yeah. One of the ways in which they're doing so is um by multiple practices coming together and converging at the same time right mm. so a yogin what is the yogin's lifestyle right so they're uh you know yogin is meditating also waking up waking up at a certain time mm-hmm. eating certain dietary foods mm. and mm-hmm. uh being around certain environments and doing all this if you study any one of these things in isolation mm. just meditation or just eating a certain diet right mm. and then we have this commercial ways of doing these things it's going to take away from the holistic sort of approach, approach. of the yogic lifestyle or any sort of lifestyle. Yeah. So what yeah. these traditions did very successfully, I believe, is to uh, be situated within a certain lifestyle. Yeah. And so what we have to learn, I think, is not to just isolate one thing and to see how many of the different practices that we think we could incorporate today yeah. in a holistic way. In a holistic way. Yeah. Taking into that full context. Exactly. While also, though, I guess, seeing how you can fit it exactly. to your lifestyle. Exactly. We yeah. can't all go to the forest. Yeah, exactly. Right? Or like, go to the forest or live in an ashram or, yeah. you know, be completely on that. Yeah. It's like, how do we respect certain elements exactly. and, and understand why they did what they did while still, okay, like, how can I then incorporate that exactly. into this life? And how can it maybe free, you know, free me from all these mental afflictions that I'm going through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you look at yoga, right? And because what I love to do is, okay, we have these certain traditions or certain philosophies. How can we make it practical for the person that's listening? Right? Mm-hmm. How can we offer some sort of solution? Because it's like I'm, yeah, these these big ideas, big, you know, um, things that we can meditate on. But I'm going through this, I'm going through that, mm-hmm. and I'm dealing with this job issue or this relationship issue. Like, mm-hmm. where can we find practical solutions from these traditions that can really help the people that are listening in? And like, okay, that's practical. That makes sense. I can utilize this in my life. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that kind of your mind kind of goes to? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful question. You know, um, so I think yoga itself, especially as demonstrated in the Yoga Sutra Patanjali, is practical in its nature. Mm-hmm. That is like, it's not... Uh, so philosophical in nature that we cannot ground it and use it. Yeah. So, for in, for instance, um, uh, in chapter two, there is a verse: "Sukhanushai ragaha." Mm-hmm. So, desire comes from previously experienced pleasure. Okay. Yeah. And then "Dukhanushai dveshaha." So aversion comes from previously experienced pain. Mm-hmm. And so, when you desire anything, when you desire anything, it comes from previously experienced pleasure. That means we have a mental impression or samskara in our mind, yeah. of that thing being pleasurable. Yeah. So you know that when you see something or you come across something and you desire it, it's because we've experienced it before, etc. 
So that right there is the gateway or the doorway to understanding our patterns and addictions and bad tendencies. Mm. So then you can catch it. So the idea of becoming aware of our patterns, and I know you work with that in your work, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Becoming aware of our patterns, become, becoming aware of our tendencies, having that knowledge and awareness will then sometimes dissipate it naturally. Mm. So with yoga and these uh, these yogic texts, they're just saying these sutras and these pashas, these commentaries mm-hmm. uh, on these psychological phenomena that we just have to become aware of. Mm. Um, so it's often not philosophical in nature, although that's included. Yeah. It's very practical in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so to take that and, mm-hmm. and kind of see, okay, yeah, and then making it practical. So one way is, okay, if you're having a certain desire for something, and maybe mm-hmm. it's not even healthy for you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that maybe you're going towards that direction is because of a past impression. Exactly. Memory you, impression. Memory exactly. impression. You mm-hmm. had a certain experience, you found it enjoyable, mm-hmm. and now you're desiring it again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And or, let's say, because we know how that, that's how a trauma works, which is like you have a negative experience, mm-hmm. and now that can then, that same stimuli can offer another negative experience. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of cycle. Mm-hmm. That, that we have there, right? Exactly. So now when you look at that, so looking at how a certain thing is leading to another thing, you're saying by awareness, you're able to kind of free yourself from it, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. right, right. This is exactly the sort of work. Um, you know, yeah, it says, for example, uh, we have vrutti, right? We've learned vrutti, uh-huh. a mental fluctuation that occurs in the mind, yeah. right? So knowledge, error, memory, right? And then we learned about sonskara, like a mental mm-hmm. impression that's mm-hmm. like a thing in your mind, right? So whenever we come across anything, a vrutti, a, a fluctuation of the mind occurs. Yeah. And then that locks in and records itself as a mental impression, mm-hmm. as a memory. Yeah, memory. And so that memory then gets activated in the future again when we come across a similar thing yeah. or something related to that. Yeah. And then boom, a mental imp- uh, um a thought or a vritti is created again. Yeah. So it's a cyclical process of yeah. habit and then uh, cognitive stuff that's happening. Yeah. So becoming aware of that, catching it, catching it, instead of reacting to it, right? Reacting it because yeah. when it's not conscious, you're just doing things without actually doing them. You're just being led to do them by those mental impressions. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, okay, how do you take charge of your life or your habits? But first, acknowledging, okay, what's happening here? Exactly. I'm not just acting like this. Exactly. For no reason. There's mm-hmm. a reason why I'm acting like this. Exactly. And once I'm like aware and I can consciously start to see what's happening, maybe I can take control or power over it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because the oftentimes when we catch ourselves in a situation, why did I have that thought? Or why did I go to this place? Why yeah. did I call this person? Why did I do anything? Yeah. Just look two seconds before what was the stimulus around you. Yeah. That stimulus will then trigger the next stimulus. Next stimulus. Yeah. Oh yeah, like you know, I was walking and uh, I opened my cabinet, closed my cabinet door, and I went to go sit down. And I was like, mm, I want to, I want to eat some pizza right now. And I was about to order some pizza. Then I'm like, Why do I want to eat pizza right now? Where did this craving come from? I mm. went to the cabinet. I opened. I saw a crushed red pepper oh. thing there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so then I was like, ah, so that I associated with the pizza, but it happened unconsciously. Unconsciously. And so then I sat down and had a random craving that I would have acted upon. Mm. But if I didn't in- introspect and ask where did it come from, yeah. right? 
then I wouldn't be able to break that cycle. And then by asking that question, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, where what stimuli is causing this? Mm-hmm. Right, you can get control over it. Exactly. And okay, maybe not have red peppers there if you're wanting to yeah. not exactly. you know, eat pizza. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Change the environment in such a way that doesn't trigger you. So then. it doesn't trigger you to do certain things that you're wanting to avoid. And exactly. Because the thing with habits is that once you keep doing them, they like solidify, reinforce. Right. They get reinforced. So mm-hmm. when when you when you want to get out of a habit and you change stimuli that's causing you to step into it, you might break that solidification. You might no longer have a habit of it anymore. Right? Exactly. The potentiality then decreases. Exactly. Yeah. Because that associate associations aren't as strong as they were because you kept on doing them. With repetition, they become solidified. Exactly. They yeah. become solidified. It happens in the brain. And then um you know, like if you're if you're leaving your house and there's a big difference between like if there's a poster of the sea you know, or a poster of the forest and then or versus a poster of like this uh, fighter or like a violent poster mm. or like a sensual poster or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right when you leave, you're being primed to feel a certain way. Primed. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we spoke about, I think, in our previous yeah, conversation. Yeah, in a, in oh, yeah. life. Yeah. 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 Well, so priming. Yeah. Priming and uh, stimuli, the effects of stimuli. Yeah, so it's like priming yourself for conducive mm-hmm. results mm-hmm. and then priming yourself exactly. out of things that might not be as conducive. Exactly. But you can't really prime yourself if you're not aware. Exactly. So if you're not aware that it's doing this to you, you're not going to want to change it. Exactly. Or you're not going to have the thought to really change it. Exactly. But if you're like, okay, no, this picture or this imagery or this color of my room is causing me to act a certain way. Exactly. And I'm seeing that connection and that like chain and that link. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not maybe favorable. Let me take this out. So I'm not being psychologically primed to Mm -hmm. go in that way, right? Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you, like, so... In your experience, you know, in counseling different clients, uh, um, what are some of the patterns or priming patterns that you see uh, that come up? And then also, how do you go about trying to make them aware of it? Yeah. So what I guess what I usually focus on is like negative kind of Mm -hmm. memory. So the the way I like to describe is like it's emotional memory, right? Focusing on emotional memory. So which is like, let's say if you have... Um, let's say someone is a, someone is a, a child and they drown, they started drowning in, in a pool, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say they survived that, but now they have a negative association with water. So every time that water, they, they think about water, they come near that, that, that body of water in, in that, in that same form, that emotional memory is getting triggered. Mm-hmm. So then my approach is just okay now, cause those things are now causing issues, mm-hmm. whether, Let's say that the physical they're causing it when you're coming across that physical thing, mm-hmm. or they could be negative um, emotional memory from relationships or certain um, like belief systems or certain mm-hmm. um, perspectives towards yourself or towards others. So it's like clearing those, that emotional memory right. Right. through certain you know visualizations or certain techniques. So when that stimuli shows up again, they're no longer being uh, evo- that emotional memory is no longer being evoked. Right. It's it's cleared. Right. They're not being primed in the same They're way. They're not being primed in the same way. Right. You know, it's no longer an issue for them. Right. Like that water no longer becomes an issue. That dog that bit them no longer becomes an issue because that emotional memory is cleared. Mm. So mm. that's how like my kind of approach has been or like the work that I do with people. Right. Right. So it's clearing um, primarily those negative associations that we might make because of certain traumatic events or something, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so yeah, that's so part you, of it, at least, yeah. Yeah, you have to be, it seems like you have to be very, very aware of, um, again, yeah, the, the priming factors and the context of the person, like what's going on there and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. which is actually what I wanted to mention before in a previous conversation. Um, so you know how it's so important, right, for, that we try to find the root of the thing yeah. that we're looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. So whether it's the emotion that we're feeling, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the, a, a certain mood, yeah. we ask ourselves, why is this there where did it come from? What is the earliest experience I've had, right? Mm, We've talked about mm, that. Mm. Um, so what I had, I had a thought about this the other day. Um, so let's say, for instance, like I'm angry at someone for saying something, right? That was rude or something, right? And I feel hurt. And then I ask myself, you know, what is the root of this pain? Yeah. Right? And I say, okay, uh, hmm, I want it to be seen a certain way and it wasn't seen that way. And so when that person said that, it hurt me, yeah, right? Let's yeah. say the person insulted my intelligence or something. I consider myself to be intelligent. Mm. And so then they say something or they act in a certain way, then that gets triggered and my sense of self gets hurt, mm. right? Mm. And invalidated. And so I ask myself, what is the root of this? Okay, the root is that my sense of self wants to seem intelligent and that sense of self is X, Y, Z. And there you go. Then I go out into the world and whenever I see this sort of thing happening, I interact with people and say, oh, you're hurt because here's the root of it. Here's mm. the root of it, right? Mm. Although that may be true, mm. imagine like going to the root of something is going down a ladder, like step by step, right? Mm -hmm. And we go from one step to the next step to the next step. These steps are true, but the sides of the ladder are very important. Mm. And so the context, the relationship between one step of the ladder and how it went to the next step of the ladder is so important. Mm. And that's that person's specific pain and specific reason as to why they got to that pain, right? Mm -hmm. So you can a person can ask me, what was in the nature of you feeling hurt at that moment? Was it a like math competition? Was it that you were trying to was were you in front of your family and friends? Were you in blah blah yeah, blah? Yeah. So that their pain is specific, egoically specific. Yeah, so yeah. even if you present a route to somebody and mm. it's true, they may say, Nope, that's not it. Or they may take longer to feel it mm. because we didn't uh, give the chance to understand how they went from one, in their context from one step to the other step. Mm -hmm. Because they might be acting a different way with a family situation mm -hmm. versus another situation with a contest. And that's what their main kind of connection is with right, mentally. Exactly. So even if you present the root and it's definitely true, they want you to understand the root specifically in their context in their of context. why it happened. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the sides of the ladders are just as important in going down the ladders as well. Mm. So you can go up to someone and say, oh, yeah, again, your, your desires were not fulfilled. Mm. And that's why. But why did they have that desire in the first, the first place? place? How is it created? What is the relationship with the desire? How yeah. important is it to them? Yeah. yeah. And then you un we understand that. Then they're so open to understanding the root. Mm. But yeah, this is definitely something you've probably come across. You yeah. Know? And uh, I think that's what I've noticed that oftentimes it is in relationship to something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? It's like, yeah, I want to be loved in a certain way. But it's also because I didn't receive it from mm -hmm. my parents, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's like there is that, mm -hmm. but it's like what's really happening is this kind of um, interrelationship with these kind of other external events, right? 
and that are then causing you to formulate a certain perspective or a certain belief system by yourself yeah. or a certain lack that you're trying to then fulfill. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like if I'm desiring love in a, in a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm really looking for validation. Mm-hmm. When looking at the root of that, it's like, okay, that person just wants validation yes. and wants love. But mm-hmm. it's also because they didn't receive validation from yes. their parents. Right. 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 So that's where the context comes in. It's not just validation exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because there's many forms of validation. Yes. There's like validation of success in a certain way. And they might not really be desiring that. But they're desiring validation in that specific context of that romantic relationship. Exactly. Or like this very love centered, you know, situation, which is more connected to their parental situation that caused that issue or trauma in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. So going into that context, right? Yeah. So what you said is not just validation, uh, it's their specific context of validation, right? Yeah. So when they felt invalidated by their parent and they didn't feel that love, was it the faces that the parent was making? Mm. Was it that they got a really, really good grade and the parent didn't acknowledge it? Mm. Was it the, the, when they went to a, like a, a religious worship place and they showed that they were religious and the parent didn't acknowledge their religiosity. Yeah. How was their invalidation colored? Mm. And then when we really understand how it was colored, then they'll be so open to finding the root of it. Yeah. Because otherwise people will always resist the root because then they'll be like, but you don't understand how my thing is different. Mm. And so to, by, to not bypass it, to, to unlock it and to understand the egoic nature of a person's pain mm. is to step by step go through that sort of yeah and get more and more yeah. specific with it exactly yeah of what is it exactly exactly yeah without losing sight of the truth of the root mm. which is yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. that gives you more knowledge as to why someone's acting the way that they're acting exactly right it's because okay yeah the reason I really want to be a religious person is because my there's a sense of validation was connected to my parents and the way they were putting religiosity as this value system. Mm-hmm. And now I wanted their acceptance or validation. This is why I'm so inclined to be a religious person. Exactly. So it's like then you start to understand yourself. Exactly. Right? Which is kind of what we're like diving deep into and which even yoga is. It's about understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. Right at a, at a deeper and deeper levels, mm-hmm. and then psychology is also about that. So it's like mm-hmm. kind of looking at, yeah, the way I'm operating in this way because of these previous stimuli, mm-hmm. these previous impressions, mm-hmm. and this is formulating me as a person. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm maybe moving towards a certain direction because of what's happened in my past. Exactly. So it's my karma kind of thing, or my karmic or external experiences or impressions are then leading me to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's very interesting. Yeah, like you, you look at the root and then you see how that root is being colored. Mm. Uh, and then like you take a, like how a snowball goes down a hill. Initially, it was like this, let's assume it was like this perfect round snowball and then it accumulates all this stuff and ends up with something. So what is the relationship between the snowball initially and then eventually how it turned out and how did it gradually pick up every pick up atom of snow yeah, yeah, to yeah. get to, to that be, point? To get to that point. Exactly. So what is it picking up? What is it picking up? Yeah. Why did it pick up that? Why did, Why did it, it go in that, that direction? Instead yeah. of something else. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you'll notice, okay, this person is, is acting this way. Mm-hmm. I'm acting this way. Why is it that they chose to be acting that way or desiring yeah. that type of validation, I'm desiring this type of validation. Exactly. Because maybe 
that part of me was already fulfilled yeah by my yeah. parents yes like i didn't really f- there was a harmonious kind of um you know like i was receiving that in a harmonious way yes. there was no issues yes where there was issues with this aspect which is now i'm, I'm desiring or i have some sort of conflicted relationship with you know? exactly yeah yeah it's like you, you don't <laughs> lose anything when you just try to understand people at the deepest level ever you just keep walking away with more knowledge about, more the, person, knowledge right? about the person yeah, yeah. And I think that's what sometimes things are lacking when we have um, to commentate on like even some approaches of, of let's say the medicines or psychological medicines that, you know, people are being provided. Sometimes I feel like it's, it's saying, okay, there's a neurochemical situation and maybe there is, hmm. then there probably is, right? Hmm. It's like, why did that happen in the first place? Right. How did it, how did it happen? That right? How did it get to that point? And if it wasn't always at that point, mm. well, what what happened in in, in between? Mm. Mm. Right? Mm. If at one point in time in their life they didn't have the neurochemical issue, and then something did something happen that caused mm. that? Right. Right? So it's like what's really happening instead what's of just happening? giving this kind of band-aid. Right. Oh, like, oh, you're having this neurochemical issue. Here's mm. these chemicals or this medicine, mm. and it'll fix that. Mm. But it's like but what is the root of it? What is the root? How did it form? How did it get to that point? Yeah. Yeah, you're bringing up something called the diathesis stress model uh-huh. uh, in psychology, where it's like um, uh, the diathesis is the certain genetic predisposition a person has to something. Yeah. Some people have a lot yeah. or a little, to put it simply, and then the stressors come into place. Some people have a lot or a little. Mm. So if you have a high genetic predisposition to anxiety, depression, etc., yeah. then you just need a little bit of stress in the environment to come through. And that would be what you're talking about, mm. about how it comes up. Yeah. If you have a little genetic predisposition, then you need a lot more stress in the environment to activate. So that was called the diathesis stress model. But then my question would be, mm. even if you have this genetic predisposition, why do you have this genetic predisposition? Right. Disposition? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Is mm. that coming from some sort of, you know, family or ancestral type mm-hmm. of thing. Right, right. Is that being carried on from your father? Mm-hmm. Was your father doing something or experiencing something that is now being carried across that lineage? Right, right. right. Yeah, did, did the stress come from your father? Did it come from your mother? And in, in what and how did that stress form? What were their survival factors? Yeah. What were their financial factors? Yeah. And keep going on uh, and to the furthest degree you can to then understand yourself yeah for yeah, sure to understand yourself or understand your father at yes. a deeper level right and maybe the way they were acting mm. or the way they were behaving with you was because of these reasons right right and then when that becomes practical you can then step into forgiveness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can step into understanding mm-hmm. you can step into maybe something that's been going it's been happening from you know from Father to son, you know, and this whole lineage. From different generations. So many yeah. generations can finally break. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, this is what we've been doing again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And now maybe we, we can step out of that, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. can do something different. Right, right. And the way, like, I see it, it's 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 all mental. It's a mental game, mm-hmm. right? It's like these rithis or these impressions and this, mm-hmm. like, lack of control or kind of compulsion or consciousness, this kind of battle between the two. Mm-hmm. And how we started this conversation was stepping more into consciousness, mm-hmm. stepping more into awareness. Mm-hmm. It is not behaving compulsively. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. These patterns, patterns are very, very interesting too. You know, like you see uh parent to child, parent to child and unresolved things within parents or even extended family relatives not being resolved. And then, 
the kid picks it up, man. Yeah, like the kids literally. pick it up, literally. and then they pass it on to their kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so the and then stopping that pattern requires mm. a, an individual to fa- face great courage to actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and possibly losing family members in order to stop that pattern. Stop so that, that pattern. that's something you probably face too, right? In some yeah. of your work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. And because you, you notice it's like these things aren't like disconnected from each other, mm. right? It's like the way your parents are behaving with you isn't just, it's not just how they are. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. it's deeper. It's deeper, that. right. It's maybe because they're, it's like if your father's acting a certain way with you, maybe his father acted a, certain, a similar right. way. Right. Or there was a certain lack there that is causing him to act in this way. Mm. Like maybe his father was absent, so he doesn't understand how like a father-son you know, relationship mm. sh- should be. Mm. So now he lacks certain communication, mm. things with you. He doesn't know how to communicate with you. Right. And all he knows is, is okay. Or maybe m- my father, all he did was work and provide me like a sustenance or food or s- security. So that's all I know uh, what love is. What love is. In that situation. Right. Right. right? And now... Now, as as me being a father, I'm also going to do that because that's what I I learned from my father. Right. You know? And so that's what all... Right. But I might not realize that my son is, is actually wanting something else. Wanting something else. Or their love language is different. Love language is different. There's a disconnect. Right. The son has a resentment. Resentment, my father doesn't spend time with me. He doesn't understand me. The father's like, oh, I do all this for you, right? Like, how do you, why don't you understand what I'm doing for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's this, this difference, there's a disconnect of, of these love languages. Yeah. And he, and he picked, and as a son, if you understand, okay, he's actually getting this from his father. Right. There could be that understanding. That understanding. And if the father's right. understanding, oh, my son wants something different. Then, you know, you can find this mutual kind of understanding with each other. And okay, and step into a situation where you are giving what the other is uh, desiring. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's it's so interesting. Like, from like a, like a baby's perspective, right? Like, half of the baby is the father. The other half is the mother. The baby only knows survival, right? And it's deriving not only the psychological sense of self, but also survival sense of self from yeah. uh, the parents, So food, this and that, shelter, all the necessities coming from the parents. So the baby is entirely dependent on the parents for everything, including validation. So then, you know, you you fast forward a bit, get a little older, and the parent shows the kid where love is. Mm. So for instance, if, if the kid by default wants love, it needs love, and so you, the parent is suddenly watching a soccer game and like loving the soccer game, right? The kid is going to see that that love is directed towards that soccer game. Yeah. Or if the, the, uh, the father or the mother, they like this table a lot. Yeah. This table is amazing. And it's amazing. They, they, the child sees happiness and stuff. So child is going to try to imitate that. Imitate like, that. I like that table. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to buy a table like that. I'm going to play soccer. So the parents unconsciously, consciously direct where love should be filtered. Yeah. Unconditional love should be filtered into conditional circumstances. Yeah. And that's where that kid starts defining himself. Or defining herself. themselves and yeah. then stepping into certain opportunities or certain things that then define his character. Or exactly. His character. Mm-hmm. Right. So like now they recognize, yeah, the father loves soccer. Mm-hmm. That's where he's giving his love and his attention primarily mm-hmm. to, right? Like love and attention. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, why not I do soccer as well? Or exactly. I also start watching soccer with him. Exactly. Right. And now I'm interested in soccer. Yeah. And I don't know what, where this started from. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's like, so like, yeah, where is his desire 
to watch soccer, where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's coming it, potentially because my father loved it and now mm-hmm. I wanted his attention. Mm-hmm. And because maybe there was a lack of it at right. a certain level, right? There was a lack of attention and attention was going somewhere else and now you're stepping into it to receive that. Right. And now you're doing all this but not really knowing where it stems from. Right. Which is what this conversation is about, being aware. Being aware. Yeah. And take it a step further, yeah. right? Uh, your relationship, let's say hypothetically, your relationship with that parent isn't good. And suddenly you have an aversion towards soccer. Hmm. So now it's like, hmm. why do I hate this? I why don't do know I hate why... this? Wow, exactly. yeah. There's that next step. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. now it's like, yeah, sometimes they're like, oh, I hate sports or I hate this. Yeah. Or, you know? Like, it's like, why? Like, what did sports do to you? Yeah. But then when you get to the root of it, Maybe, yeah, the father spent so much time watching sports mm-hmm. and there was this resentment towards that exactly. thing. Exactly. Because he never gave me attention. They never gave me attention. And right. now I don't like, the I don't thing like that, was that thing stealing the attention. Exactly. Which sometimes what happens with kids mm-hmm. and um, it's like younger siblings. They notice the attention's uh, going to, to the, the, the younger child. child. Now there's kind of this like conflict or resentment mm-hmm. towards the younger child because mm-hmm. they're not getting the same level of attention any- mm-hmm. anymore. Which is very interesting, right? Wow, yeah, no, no, that's absolutely... <clears throat> I think it'd be... Uh, I think it'd be helpful to mention, I think... So, briefly, if I could just mention... Uh, if you remember Pavlovian conditioning, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to just mention it right now. But we have the... If we remember Ivan Pavlov, right? The uh, He did these experiments on uh, the digestive systems of dogs for salivation. Mm-hmm. So again, so he noticed that every time he presented meat powder to a dog, the dog kept salivating. Yeah. So meat powder, salivation, meat powder, salivation, right? Yeah. And so we call that the unconditioned stimulus, right? Yeah. And so then he started to notice that every time he presented the sound of a bell, mm. right? With the meat powder. So bell, meat powder, bell, meat powder. He paired those two together and gradually all that made the dog salivate was the sound of the bell mm. without the meat powder, without right? Powder, In yeah. anticipation for the meat powder. Mm-hmm. So, so gradually he started to know that the bell was called the conditioned stimulus and the meat powder is unconditioned stimulus. Mm. Now, in his, in his writing, he went on further to talk about something called higher order conditioning or I believe secondary reflex conditioning. Mm-hmm. So let's say for instance that bell, the bell now has the same response as the meat powder, right? Salivation. Yeah. Now, let's say you take that bell and you pair it with something else that's neutral. Let's say an image of something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then that image will also take on the nature of salivation. Mm. So practically speaking, for in a relationship, right, with somebody, uh, let's say you have, a, you have a partner and initially the person is neutral, right? Yeah. And over time, that person starts to make you feel really good, yeah. amazing. These feelings, good feelings come up. Yeah. Then you start to go to the mall with them. You start to go to amusement park with them. You go to all these other places. And they also take on that flavor of a good feeling, these areas, yeah. right? You have a certain pillow, a certain color, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, you start liking all these things that you did that were neutral initially, initially through yeah. the good feeling of the partner. Of the partner. But yeah. then the relationship breaks, yeah. right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden... All the other things, the amusement park, the zoo, and all these places, you start to not like them anymore. Not like them anymore. Yeah, so yeah. that higher order conditioning, the spread of the initial aversion that you have towards something goes to neutral stimuli all over. Mm. So gradually, you That's have... That's so interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So gradually to resolve that, we have to make them extinct. 
So then you have to go to these places and know that you're okay wherever you go to these places. Uh-huh. So what you were saying about the parent situation is yeah. the same sort of thing. Same that sort of thing. Yeah, the yeah. aversion towards the one parent is spreading on to things like soccer and different things. Yeah, yeah. things that are interconnected. Mm-hmm. But that's so interesting how like, yeah, you're just spending time with that one person. Mm-hmm. But all these other things are being connected with that. Mm-hmm. And now it's... Like you're loving that thing as much as as well, right? So it's exactly. Like it continues on, but then now all of a sudden you're feeling averse to something, mm-hmm. and you don't know why. Exactly. You know. And that's through the higher order conditioning. Yeah. Uh, that sort of path is there. You know, I, I, there was a situation where a friend was like actually averse to a certain food mm-hmm. because that food was actually connected to someone that in their life that had passed away. Mm. Yep. So now they spend all this time, mm-hmm. right, not wanting to consume that food after that person passed away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was because it was this grief that was connected mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So it was like, in a way, I guess, like that stimuli was evoking that. And so there was like an aversion yes. to not step into that realm because that food was so interconnected with that person. Yes. And so it's like until that like thing wasn't cleared, they weren't able to. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So let's say that the grief, the passing away event was an unconditioned stimulus, which mm. causes a biological reaction, yeah. right? And let's say the food was initially neutral. Yeah. Although it tastes good, it's neutral. neutral. Now they get paired together, yeah. and now you have an aversion towards that. And one more step would be, let's say the shape of the food or the taste of the food reminds them of another shape of the food or, or a color of another food, then they become averse to that too. So that's and it a... can keep spreading until mm. that first initial thing of the passing away isn't taken care of. Isn't taken care of. That's where your work would come in in that way. Yeah, so which is then, because sometimes people ask, well, I'm I'm fine, right? I don't have no issues. Like, I don't need to go to a therapist, right? I don't, like, I'm doing fine. But so you might not recognize that this emotional memory or this conditioning Mm -hmm. is actually affecting certain aspects of your life you might not be fully conscious of. Yep, absolutely. Like, you might have liked a certain food before and Mm -hmm. now you're not, consuming it Mm -hmm. because of this trauma Mm -hmm. because of this you know like emotional issue Mm -hmm. and you can't start to Mm -hmm. right and you can like once you clear that it's like you can start to doing that again so that that potentiality is is available to you through that healing process exactly or like you being afraid of water Mm -hmm. right not wanting to go on like a like a boat or something or not wanting to go into a pool because you have some sort of past stimuli scary experience scary experience Mm. and now that's limiting your life Mm -hmm. yeah you're not crazy yeah you're not depressed but that's still limiting what you can do and potentially limiting you from positive experiences exactly that can be cleared exactly and if you're in a conversation with someone and someone says yeah man you know i went to the pool the other day right Mm -hmm. and and then suddenly you feel restless Mm. and then in the conversation you find yourself being mean but you don't know why you're being mean or yeah. rude. And the other person's like, why are you being rude? You don't know what happened, but you got triggered by the word pool or something because you had some aversion to a swimming experience. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that can just come out in ways that you don't even know. You don't even know. No, exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're frustrated or mm-hmm. in a certain state of mind. You don't know why. You don't know why. Like, no. what, like what's going on? I was totally fine yeah. before. <laughs> and we just talked about the, like a pool or something. But like now I don't. And usually people don't even recognize it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their emotions are shifting and they're getting moody, but they don't know why. Mm. Right? It's like, why yep. am I, 
wanting this person's validation so much? Yeah. Why am I averse to this? Why did this conversation all of a sudden trigger me? Mm-hmm. Usually you just blame the other person. Oh, it is It is what it is. Or, yeah. or like, yeah, I don't know, that person's energy. Like, we don't really fully understand it. Mm-hmm. But and this is, I think, what even meditation, like mm-hmm. going back into yoga and what these modalities provide is a level of like introspection. Yeah. And the level of like detachment from what's happening mm. and your like kind of true self or your awareness. Mm. So you can start recognizing these patterns. Definitely. You can step from step out of compulsion into like consciousness, right? Right. So instead of like compulsively doing certain things or un- and doing things in lack of awareness, w- with that coming of awareness, you can start seeing what's really happening. Mm-hmm. And then once you start seeing it, you could potentially then work on it and heal it. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, there's no question about, I think, uh, and we can both agree, there's no question about the benefits of introspection. And, you know, some of the, I think a good conversation too, is what are some of the blockages as to why people don't want to introspect? So like, we can we can explain to people and ourselves and we can explain to people that it's so important for you to look into this situation, mm. but they have blockages. Yeah. And why so, do they resist it? Why do they resist it? Yeah. Um, and before I ask you, what are some of the blockages that you find? Yeah. One thing I did want to say is that sometimes people don't know how to do it, yeah. which is another thing yeah. that they try, but they don't have the confidence in identifying the emotion mm. that's there, maybe because they doubt their ability to identify it. Yeah. And or they haven't practiced enough. Or don't even know that they can. Don't even know that they can. Yeah. So in your experience, what are some of the blockages that people have when looking at certain emotions and how do they come out and how do they become aware of that as yeah. well? So from my experience, what I've understood is that oftentimes it's this kind of fear of the unknown mm-hmm. or like you don't like how it feels. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's like, oh, this feels bad. I don't like how this feels. I want to avoid Right? Right. So it's like, okay, yeah, there's this grief there. I don't like that feeling. So it's very simple. Like, I don't like the feeling. I, I want to avoid that feeling. Mm. Right? So let me, like, distract my mind. Mm. Let me do something else. Let me not deal with it because it doesn't feel good. Mm. And I'm also afraid that if I go into it, I don't know if it's going to end. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to, there's some resolution there. Good point. Right? Like, it's going to keep going on. Right? If I start crying, am I going to keep crying? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that fear is there. Mm-hmm. So it's like this kind of unknown. It's like this unknown territory. Like, like it doesn't feel good. I don't know how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. So all these types of, I think, kind of things that cause a level of resistance to step resistance, into that, right. you right. know, mm-hmm. yeah, or deal with that. Yeah, right. And and that that resistance, and just to emphasize, uh, is valid. Like, yeah, right? Definitely. That 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 heaviness or that grief that people are that we and people are trying to avoid um is practically true because it's heavy you need time to address it if your life is constantly on the move and there's people you have to interact with and and you have all these things you have to do right right and then then you people don't have time and so then they just can't address it which which means that it's a valid reason why people create these defenses yeah and perhaps in the next conversation we could discuss the different defenses that people go through yeah but but the thing is that yeah like there is this sense that we have where it's like there is an urgency we have to face it 
But sometimes I also think that being aware of why people are not facing it in a certain moment is also important, right? Yeah, I think it's empowering. Right. Like you acknowledge, okay, this is what I'm doing. Because sometimes right. it's, not, it's, not, it's not conscious. Right. It's like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to get my mind off of this. Right. And you just operate. Right. But it's like acknowledging, okay, now this is what's happening. Right. Right. And so what I usually try to then make people understand, right, one of the things is that if it is in relationship to like, oh, I don't know if this feeling's going to end or I don't like how this feels, right? It's kind of t- like taking the power away mm-hmm. from that feeling, meaning or making mm-hmm. it like smaller in their mind. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, oh, this grief, there's a lot of it. It like in our mind it becomes a very big thing mm-hmm. and almost like an endless thing. Mm-hmm. So what like so what I'm want to offer to people in this conversation is that any sort of like negative emotion that's within you, there's like a limit to it, right? It's not unlimited, right? There's a certain level of emotional memory that's stuck there, but it can, it's like, imagine like a certain amount of gas being stuck in a capsule. You open up that capsule, that initial gas is going to be there. It might not be pleasant, but there's only so much within the capsule. And sometimes when things like reach its limit is when you have certain like anxiety attacks or certain things where you didn't even want to face them, but now like the smallest thing triggered you into this kind of whole reaction. Right, right. So right. it's like acknowledging and that there is like this kind of situation of like a limit to it and it's not endless, right? And by like slowly dealing with it, that capsule can or that container that's holding that grief can start to extinguish. Right. And then once it's extinguished, it's no longer going to be there right? at that same level. So what you're saying is so important because one of the avoidances one of the reasons why people avoid it is because they feel trapped when they face it and they think it's always going to be there. Yeah. So it's a never end the idea of a never ending eternal pain that yeah. has no light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And a feeling of being trapped and what you're saying is no. It's not that way. There is That's light what at it the seems. The there is light at the end of the tunnel and this emotion when you clear it, yeah. right? Yeah. Is going to be released. Released, and right. you can finally get that salvation that you're looking for. Right. And it doesn't have to be stuck with you forever. Right. And sometimes that's what how people perceive it, like you're saying, right? It's like, nah, I'm just going to have to live with this. Right. And so then if you have that mindset that I'm going to just have to live with this, then your only kind of mechanism is to just like push it aside again and again because I just have to learn how to you know live with this. Right. Or I just have to put my mind elsewhere. It's like, no, like you don't have, it doesn't have to be like that. Right. There, it is a dark tunnel if you go into it in that way, but there is light at the opposite side of right. it. Right, right. And if you keep stepping through it, you will find that light. Right. Yeah, because right. there's only so much that your container can carry. And on the opposite side of it is that those positive emotions sitting at the, at the, at the, your true kind of self. Right. Which is we're, we're stepping into that spiritual kind of, which is like how that psych, psychology and spirituality is now kind of coming together, which is your true self away from those negative emotions is, has all those positive emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has that love, that bliss, that confidence. It's just this kind of these like dark clouds of these negative emotions mm-hmm. that are blocking that. 
which is when you start to step into energy centers and and how they're functioning. Mm-hmm. And so how these things can block, how anxiety can block confidence, mm-hmm. how grief can block love and joy. But sitting behind them is love and joy. So you just have to move through it to find love and joy. So that's what's at the end of the tunnel, is that true self or that true expression or that or the, all those positive emotions. And and you can have that again. But you have to deal with those clouds that you right. that emotional memory that you took it on from these events and these situations and these traumas. Right. So becoming aware, practicing becoming aware, becoming aware of the blockages and the pain as well. Yeah. And also having faith that it's not going to be a permanent thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is what spirituality is offering you, right? Right. Right? It's offering you that you can't free yourself from pain. Right? That's right. what it's essentially right. saying. Right. It's like, no, you're living in, in, in dukkha right now. You're living in pain right now. But this doesn't have to be forever. Mm-hmm. Like, follow this path and you can free yourself from it. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like, even those traditions, they, that's what they're offering. Mm-hmm. That there is an end to this. Yeah. Right? The first, uh, it's the first... Uh, Karika of the Sankhya Karika, um, Dukkha, Traya, Bhika, Tat. So from the three, when you're hit by the three types of pain, right? Pain from yourself, pain from others, and pain from, let's say, uh, natural things. Mm-hmm. When you're hit by the pain of the three types of pain, then there comes a desire for inquiry into the source of that pain. So mm-hmm. Jignyasa, there's an inquiry. Why? Where is this pain coming from? Yeah. And then the next line says, if it's if someone objects and says, "What is the point of this inquiry? This yeah. inquiry is pointless because uh, all these pains, right? Yeah. They can be resolved through temporary means, you know, mm. uh, drugs and uh, relationships and all these things, yeah. right? Yeah. Then they say no objection to mm. that objection. All these temporary means are temporary and they're not guaranteed. Yeah. Then next karika will say to know the difference between the purusha, the soul. And material nature, prakriti, to know that to have discriminative knowledge, that is the way out of pain. So that you're right yeah. that um, these traditions will talk about the way out of pain, pain, and then the way out of pain, yeah. and how they may differ in how spiritually, yeah. but definitely they they do say these things. And that's the thing. So the techniques or the approaches mm-hmm. might differ. Like right? mm-hmm. it's like, hey, it's through awareness or it's through healing or it's through meditation, right? Mm-hmm. But essentially, what what is it? Mm-hmm. It's Picking up of pain, mm. and then acknowledging and inquiring into that, and acknowledging that it can be released, right. or you can't find es- escape from it, right? Or salvation from it, freedom right. from it. You don't have to live with this forever, right? And so that belief is something I do want people to kind of let go of. Mm-hmm. You don't have to live with this pain forever, right? You know, all these traditions and my work with people is is evidence. That you can free yourself from these things. You've been thinking a certain way for who knows how many years, but there is a way to no longer think like that. Mm. To no longer have that procession towards yourself or towards the world or um, in relationship to these different things. Mm-hmm. You can have a, a, you can free yourself from limiting beliefs. Right. You can have a much positive perspective and relationship with all, all these things and live a much more joyful and confident or, or whatever you know you're desiring that type of life that's possible for you mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I think even just to recognize that it's possible is, is huge. Right. Because it's, it's possible. Because so, many people are living in that belief that it's not. It's not possible, right? You just have so to. So that's the first step. You just have to maintain. Steps. You just have to mitigate. You just have to take these things and just deal with it for the rest of your life. But yeah, I guess what we're offering here in this conversation is like, no, you don't, you know? Right. Yeah. There's awareness. It's awareness and, and that knowledge. Mm hmm. Of that, yeah, this can be something that can end. I right. don't have to suffer forever, you know? Right. Or death is not the only escape. It's not the only escape, yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's great work, man, yeah. And I look forward to seeing how, you know, the different things you learn from your experiences, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The different ways it comes out. And so I think that's what ha ends up happening, though, is like as, you know, humans go through the different, like as, we evolve, right? We find different modalities, different mechanisms, and we adjust to the context and the culture of the time. But I feel like the base level truths and those base elements are still the same. Mm. Right? right? The mm. base, it's still the same emotions. Love mm. is still love. Right. You know, grief is still grief. Right. Fear is still fear. Like those things don't change. Right. Like freedom is still freedom, right? Awareness is still awareness. So it's just, but sometimes the modalities can change. And so Definitely. maybe my modality, is maybe more fit to the times or what people are needing or like how their minds are situated. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what I'm feeling or that's why I'm, I'm pushed towards this direction. But essentially, I'm kind of reiterating what's always been reiterated, like mm. has been repeated For again and again time, right? since the, you know, the beginning of time. Right. And it's just different um, expressions of the same journey, mm. you know? Mm. Of like um, freeing yourself from these from these bondages or these attachments, right? Yeah, right. And root and at the rudimentary level, like or the fundamental level, I would say the fact that we feel things, we all feel things, and we feel pain, we feel joy, and we feel them at different levels for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, and then we also want to keep those feelings or remove those feelings. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like that's still the same. Right. <laughs> that's not journey. changing. Right. So which is really interesting, right? To look at that this, no matter how much life changes or how intelligent we think we are or how advanced we think we are, there's some elements that are just not changing. Right, right. That are kind of eternal. Right. Right? Right. Which is kind of like this aspect, okay, so wait. We can step into philosophy here, which is, okay, mm -hmm. so certain things are eternal, mm -hmm. certain things are transient. Mm -hmm. So it steps into a deeper conversation of, okay, what's eternal and what's transient? Exactly. And right. even looking at that, okay, there are certain things that are eternally there. Right. And certain things are, are changing. And then, so that deeper exploration of, okay, what is eternal? Right. And why is it that these things are eternal? Right. You know? And right. what's really going on here at the, at the deeper level? At the deeper level. Yeah. yeah. And from what eternal source are they stemming from? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there this you is go. a beautiful inquiry. When you ask the question of what eternal source are they stemming from, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's when you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you go, yeah. But it's so interesting because now we got to that etern uh, sense of eternalness mm -hmm. in this different way. Right, right. But there's so many ways to so get to it. So many ways. You know, that's what's so crazy. Yeah, it's exactly, so cool. Exactly. There's so many ways to get to that same yeah. eternal source. Right. A person could just be a full, all-out businessman. Yeah. And eventually, through the ups and downs of 
his or her business yeah. going up and down this and that finding the temporality or the you know fragility of materialism materialism then turns into that yeah you know or an artist etc whatever way <coughs> person ends up finding the question what is eternal and what is not yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah literally like yeah. look at creativity okay at certain moments i'm not in this creative flow and it almost feels like it's not coming from me it's mm-hmm. not coming from my mind it's coming from somewhere so it's like where is it coming from mm-hmm. so this is so interesting like to kind of like inquire into where is some of these things coming from mm-hmm. right and which can lead you into this deeper kind of you know um explorations mm-hmm. into the eternal nature of things right and the source of love exactly. the source of creativity mm-hmm. the source of abundance or whatever right or these emotions mm. which then becomes a spiritual kind of exploration right Ultimately. so which is another thing that comes to mind was like psychology is in a way um spiritual in its kind of essence mm. without whether wanting to be it or not be it. Oh, exactly right exactly because when you actually work on yourself it's like where do you end up moving towards exactly you know <laughs> precisely and then it comes down to experiential things after that psychology psychology is trying to psychology cognitive science neuroscience trying to pinpoint these similar questions uh and through scientific evidence and stuff like that right through the scientific method and this and that and um i think at some point which it's so priceless all this knowledge right coming from these fields and then at some point it comes down to okay i think i have to meditate now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right like i think i have to yeah. look within now and see what's up you know yeah which is like yeah okay i've done this but i'm still not fulfilled mm. Mm. Or yeah, I'm, I'm having all these like explorations of the mind. Mm. But okay, how mm. can you know? What do I really gotta do now? What am I looking at? Who am I? You it's for anything, any field for that matter, business and law yeah. or whatever. It's like okay, I'm gonna pour my heart and being into this field completely. Yeah, and then it's like okay, I've done this, but there's, there's something deeper, and I need to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's really cool in a way. It's like no matter. What field you choose, mm-hmm. when you really get to the depth of it, mm-hmm. it leads to the same place. Exactly. That's wild. Yeah, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. That's the wild part. That's a really... Right? It's like you hear about all these like physicists, mm-hmm. like the deeper they're going in. Yeah. It's just like, okay, there has to be some level yeah, of intelligence like behind quantum this. quantum and all this stuff. Then it's like, okay, now, yeah, let's, let's look within. Go somewhere else. Let's look within. Go there. Let's look within. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's pointing, and it's pointing to something mm-hmm. that maybe we're not able to fully explain. But it's like, in a way, it's all pointing towards that one source. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. now, that's very interesting. How so? Actually, everyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, literally, and it's like, which is like kind of this um, value of of depth over just breath, you yeah, know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no matter what your path is. Go deep, mm. you know. Mm. Like, how deep can you go? Because the deeper you go, the more truth of life and yourself you're gonna find. You know, um, I was reading uh, Musashi. Have you heard of Musashi? I no, think I haven't. Japanese swordsman is mm-hmm. a you know uh, I think a samurai. Okay, forgot the exact years, but maybe medieval. Um, he has a book. Uh, I forgot the title. I think Five Rings or something. I was just reading it, and he says that. The more you go deeper into any skill or any trade or any craft, 
the spirit of that craft reveals itself to you. Mm. And you have to keep going deeper into it. You can't stop because when you stop, then the spirit runs away from you. Oh, wow. So the spirit of a craft reveals itself to you by ex- by you exploring yourself into it deeper That's and so deeper. Yeah. And you can like, obviously you can interpret spirit in so many different ways. Yes. But essentially, it is moving from the physical to the non-physical. Right. right? Because he talked about uh, intuitive all the time. So he would say, he was a swordsman, right? Yeah. So he would say, I want to explain all these weapons to you. Yeah. I want to explain in what situation should you do this move or that move. But yeah. it's all intuitive. Yeah. And I've learned it through constantly practicing it. So I'm going to tell you, whatever your skill is, keep practicing it. Yeah. Keep doing it. Then you will develop an intuition about it. Yeah, yeah. Because at, at the beginning level, it's like, okay, there's these directions. Okay, there's this, these mm. moves and these sets and you mm. got to learn them. Mm. But higher level art or like martial arts mm. is, is stepping into something else mm-hmm. like Bruce Lee is a beautiful example of that mm-hmm. and you see like Bruce Lee was so spiritual mm-hmm. it's like he tapped into these higher states mm-hmm. which is where like where I think in his book he talks about like where all the different forms are being dissolved right into like a formless yeah um, art mm-hmm. you know the art of like no form mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it's like no form what is that <laughs> what <laughs> you know that? like so he he got he got many of his philosophies from Jiddu Krishnamurti. Okay. In his book, the Tao of Jit Kundoi, he, he says it like you know he's like, okay for the body do this for the mind do this I think for the body do this for the spirit do this for the mind read Jiddu Krishnamurti's philosophies. Mm-hmm. So Jiddu Krishnamurti was all about uh, truth is a pathless land. Mm-hmm. There is no one way. There is no uh, authority. So Bruce Lee took a lot from his work mm-hmm. in that. You know, so he was able to take different uh, martial arts from different places and kind of coalesce them together. Yeah, yeah. Right. He says there's no Japanese way of fighting. There's no Chinese way of fighting. Right. Mm. As long as human beings have two arms and two legs. Yeah. We're all human. So. Yeah. But it's so amazing how when you go deeper, it starts going getting closer to that intuition. Right. Intuition. That flow. Right. There's a, a flow that you tap into. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That like moves through your art form. Mm-hmm. That isn't just like oh, do this and do that. It's not like mechanical in that way. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. You step said. into some sort of like creative kind of expression, which you can't really categorize. Yeah. Or put into a box. Yeah. And, or put into a book even. Yeah. It's like you only know it if you'll experience it. Yeah. Which is what spirituality is, right? Yeah. And it's like mystical experience. It's like, mm. I can try, but I really can't. Mm. You only know if you experience it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But then people will criticize that. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, mystical experience, prove it to us. Yes. If you're the only one that experienced it, well, how do we know it's true? Right. But the thing is, look, it's it's the same way where martial artists can tap into this flow, or mm-hmm. this intuitive fighting style mm-hmm. that they can't exactly explain, mm-hmm. but they know it because they're there. Mm-hmm. Or some artist is in this free flow kind of and creating this absolute masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And they can't exactly prescribe to the student exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they can't explain, oh, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But they're tapping into something deeper. Right. You know? Right. And the, and the people who are criticizing it, and saying that, okay, you know, you're saying you have this experience, blah, blah. They're also looking for the truth as well. Yeah. Right? Because 
they they're criticizing it oftentimes because there are people who say they have experiences and they manipulate and they lie yeah. and so they don't want to become powerless and stuff so they're not going to just believe people they want evidence for right sure. For sure. we all want evidence and so even the uh, people who are providing criticisms they're also looking for the truth yeah. and the people who are saying it they're looking for the truth and so uh it's just very definitely very important to see but why it's criticized in the first place is is an avoidance of them becoming powerless. Like there's people making power moves on them. Power moves on power them. Power moves yeah. in. So Which is understandable. Right. But it's like in the same way that you can differentiate between a fake Shaolin master mm-hmm. and a real one. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can do the same in these precisely, categories. Precisely, precisely. Right? From behaviors. From behaviors. Yeah. When you see, the, the, this is another conversation, right? The behavior of a person who seems that they've had these mystical experiences and the yeah. behavior of a person who hasn't and they say that they do, yeah. right? Yeah. What is the behavior of those people? Yeah, what is the difference? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a very important thing too because then people fall in under the influence of people who... Uh, how do you say sporadically display spiritual symptoms mm. sporadically but not consistently they, not consistently yeah. and so then one needs to be so confident in their approach by experiencing themselves that they mm. can identify in another person that mm. this person has these qualities and they're not self-centered so let's get into that and i think maybe mm. people can benefit off of that mm. right so what do some of the traditions say about what categorizes that type of person that has right. reached that point or is right. that spiritual kind of master right you know what are some of those defining characteristics so you know it can help someone spot it right so the diff- different schools will say different things right and so we can refer to the bhagavad gita for now about the different traits of sattva lucidity quality you know the person will become you know ahimsa non-violent right the person will satya will tell the truth uh the person will be very you know clean and uh, act a certain way, right? That's, uh, you know, goes according to schedule and disciplined and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's a natural, quote unquote, purity of the person. Mm-hmm. And different traditions we do, will express it in different ways. They will not be, you know, anger and greed and lust. They will not be victims to these desires, right? Yeah. They will have it under control uh, and stuff like that. So they will not speak badly of other people. These qualities, right? There's there's a whole list of qualities. Yeah. I believe 25, but there's more. Mm-hmm. And that's what a tradition is telling you. And then there's also what you experience, right? So you meet a religious figure, right? And you see that religious figure is not acting in accordance with peace, mm. right? Egoistic language, right? Uh, criticizing other people, this and that. Right, and you, and your your gut tells you, wait a minute. People think people are saying this is a spiritual figure, but I'm seeing these traits here. Yeah. So then you have to believe yourself. But then there is this whole thing. Spiritual traditions can be, I mean, when people take control of spiritual traditions, it can become manipulative, right? Yeah. So it can be like, oh, but it's just a play, uh, right? So that uh, uh, that, yeah. that they like give excuses for it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's about a lot of it is about what you feel coming into terms of what you feel but yeah in with regards to the traditions it's all peace mm. it's all love like you said love yeah. and peace there's they're not doesn't mean they don't assert themselves yeah like there's a cow walking and someone hits a cow they'll step in and say don't hit that cow yeah. right they'll use that anger yeah for a reason yeah. but that's it yeah so yeah but it's controlled it's controlled. consistent consistent is um they're valuing truth right 
honesty, peace. Away from self-centered activity. Yeah. Uh, yep. And they, they naturally their diet ch- tends to change, right? Mm. Uh, uh, it goes more towards a fruit, natural, vegetable sort mm. of diet, right? Yeah. Uh, their activities tend to change. Yeah. Their speech tends to change. In fact, they uh, go more towards... Uh, silence or speaking effectively mm. you know it's interesting i have to say uh in um Su- so in pseudo dionysius in his mystical theology right so he was a again he was a christian church father early church father in mystical theology he's talking to uh he's sending a letter to someone right and he says the more you get closer to union with god the more silent you become mm. you find yourself at a loss for words so initially, you know, you're talking, you're talking, and then now you have nothing to say. So in in in, in the Christian sense, in this case, he's talking about union with God. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it's these symptoms, identifying these symptoms of a mystical experience of a prison, which I, I believe uh, in our future talks we should definitely discuss. Um, but these symptoms, it's just very important to identify these symptoms. And as we've discussed, you know, uh, at least in uh, Vedic, in Hindu, or Indian philosophical traditions, right? Yeah. We have the Gita, and I'm sure the Guru Granth Sahib describes, you know, certain for characteristics. Sure, yeah, for sure, for sure. Do, does anything come to your mind uh, in that in that text? I think um, well, one of the words it's um, given for the person who's realized it is called Brahm Gyanni, so one mm-hmm. who has the Gyan of of Brahm, mm-hmm. right? So, meaning it like one that has that experience, right? Right. But then it's like, okay, how do you identify if that person right. has that experience or they right. not? So, they, and it does go into that because, and there's these five kind of thieves that are mentioned, like um, let's say desire, anger, um, attachment, right, mm-hmm. um, ego, mm-hmm. and that. So this person has a level of control over these things. Mm-hmm. Th- these things aren't controlling exactly. him or her. Exactly. Right. They've mastered that. They've mastered the mind. Exactly. Right. So it's like if you notice that a person isn't able to have control over their anger, and right. you acknowledge, okay, there's that's they're still battling that Correct. that element. Correct. Right. So that element still has a level of control over them. Correct. And so or their attachment. If you notice that someone's really attached to a certain thing, right? Maybe that level of attachment they still haven't overcome yet. Right. Or so, there's an ego there, a spiritual ego there, right? Right. And so those things are still there. But I think it's worth. Um, if a person can, though, still, even if they're not there, mm-hmm. acknowledge and be honest and vulnerable, but like, hey, I'm not completely there. I'm mm-hmm. still battling with this. Mm-hmm. I'm still battling with that. Mm-hmm. Like that in itself is also honorable. Right. Right. That level of authenticity is honorable. And you can see them as someone that still is kind of representing that path. Right. And still representing that spirituality, even though they might not be fully there. Right. You know? Exactly. And uh, exactly. And, and, Again, looking within ourselves and asking ourselves, like, okay, I see this spiritual figure, or I see this person. Uh, do I have this desire to keep maintaining that image mm. of a religious figure or a spiritual figure of this person being perfect? Because I haven't explored the truth myself, yeah. right? So I'm so scared of it. So therefore, I have to project that all of these spiritual figures and these uh, religious teachings, they are true, and I know they're true. Mm. But you don't know that they're true. You're just egoically blocking yourself off to see if they're true or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, right? Because you're trying to maintain that projection that of an projection, image. Yeah, and then so even if you if you have that tendency to project this type of a perfection onto uh, these teachers, right? 
or like put putting people on pedestals, acknowledging or being aware, like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. Where is this um, tendency to make someone perfect mm-hmm. or put someone on a pedestal and you always lower? Mm-hmm. Where is this coming from? Right. Like, and why is it that you have this tendency to be this way? Right. And why can't you see yourself as potentially able to reach that level? Because sometimes that's what that tendency is. That person's perfect. I can never be. Right. 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 So you're projecting this certain thing, but in that projection is your own lack. Mm-hmm. So now you can never get there because you believe that you can't. Right. And like, I, I've noticed that in Sikhi as well. It's like, they'll like talk, like, you know, People will talk about Guru Nanak or, or these, you know, Sikh um, gurus mm-hmm. as, oh, like, we can never be like them, mm-hmm. right? Right, that's very common in many religions. Right, like, right. they reach that level, like, we can never imitate them. Like, yeah. it's never... Mm-hmm. But the thing is, effectively, what is the guru wanting? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Like, what does the guru actually yeah. want? Yeah, imagine the reaction to that, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> come on. See, when you really think about yeah. it, and yeah. the tradition shows that and it literally exactly. shows that mm. the guru the first guru guru nanak mm. took one of his students that wasn't a guru <laughs> that wasn't enlightened right, right and literally put him in his in his spot exactly right so that is a possibility right it's as communicating as clearly as it possibly could be exactly this is a possibility <laughs> it's not like sometimes in the tradition we're like it's just one teacher right? Yeah, right right and there's no kind of like um master right after them right there's no possibility in the Sikh tradition it's like there's 10 anyone there's 9 after right you know? anyone can become this if you put your effort and you try and this and that and it's not like look this person wasn't at that level and right. they can be right so meaning for the people that are listening this potential is for you as well mm-hmm. right these people that have obtained that they're not the only ones right or the the the, the line of uh, spiritual <laughs> Accomplished beings hasn't stopped. You're right. Sometimes right. there's that right. within tradition as well. Oh, there's no one else that's yeah. a messenger <laughs> right, of right, truth. Right. Right. It might be some controversial for some to hear, but that's the, you right. know, it's like no, right. like the essence that is within you is mm-hmm. the essence within everyone. Definitely, definitely, as, as a mystical principle for yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely, and that if you overcome those, you know, those things within yourself, you can also reach that. Right. So that is available to everybody. Every human is, you know, is, has that capability, that potentiality. Right. right. Yeah. There's a there's a big difference. I know what you're touching upon here. So there's a big difference between. Um, so, for instance, you will see in the mystical texts, right? Like Saint Teresa of Avila, Saint John of the Cross, right? They will say that their experience. They will oftentimes they'll say they're nobody. They're nobody. Their experience is nothing like the experience of other people before them or mm. other figures and stuff. Right. Yeah. That's an authentic feeling of that. Mm. Right. That's an authentic feeling of self negation. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not something uh, that is egoic. Yeah. But when it comes to more of let's say a discussion that you'll have at a nearby religious. Uh, you know, place, right? Yeah. With someone who just shows up on Sunday or something and yeah. says, oh, this yeah. person is great. We can never be like him. Yeah. That's just the status quo that everyone is talking about. Everyone has to agree, say yes, a truism, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. And then everyone has to agree. And if you oppose against that, then you're insane, insane. right? Yeah. So, so that's well, just... How an, could you say that? Yeah. Well, how could you even line yourself up against them or something? Right. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like if you're looking at a mountain and it's very, very beautiful, right? 
the mystics will look at that mountain and probably not say anything about it. Yeah. But the people around there are very nervous and will say, look how beautiful that mountain is. And everyone has to agree, yes, it's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful mountain. Yeah. In the same way, yeah. the mystic may say that they will never reach something that other people have reached. And they really mean it like like the silence of the mountain. Yeah. But the the other people who are saying it for egoic status purposes uh, will say, oh, I, I can never reach that. Uh, meaning so that... The mistakes of those spiritual beings might say it as a form of expression, yes, with their of their of their humility, yes, of their love and their, their devotion. But yes. it's not necessarily coming from this place of lack. It's not a place from a lack or just for a conversation starter or yeah. something you have to sta- or say. Something that has, be- has become the norm to right. say or like right. to understand. Oh, like oh yeah, we can never reach that point. Right. Well, there is also a divide, though. It's very important that there's a divide <clears throat> in mysticism <clears throat> that we have the the. Um, the mystics who believe that there is still a separation between God and themselves, even if there is an experience of union, right? Yeah. And then there's the mystics that say they are God themselves. Yeah. God and them are one. Yeah. So there is still that separation that exists. Yeah. yeah. There, the theological separation is there. And then uh, that's a, a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Which is like, yes, you know, yes. What is true? Yes. Which mystic is 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 um, on point on what the Right. The reality of that experience is. Right, right. And um, which maybe because of their own... And I wonder to some level, right, if there's some level of... Because I think there's people on the journey, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're tapping into a certain experience. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, because of the way they situated their mind... Because that's mm-hmm. the thing, even with the mystical experience, I think there's a variety, mm-hmm. right? Where some are maybe deeper mm-hmm. or are more consistently in a certain state... Mm-hmm. versus other people that might have just tasted it once. Right. right. You just said a title by William James. I think he wrote a book called Varieties of Mystical Experience. Oh, really? I think <laughs> That's that, cool. Go ahead. You know what I'm and um, so even in that, because let's say it could be where a person, because of their humility and because of the conditioning, might be like, oh, like my experience can never be like theirs. Mm-hmm. But it, but the thing is, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. It could have been. Yeah. You could be having the same experience mm-hmm. that your master thousands of years ago or you, that, mm-hmm. you know, the start of the, of the tradition had. Mm-hmm. But because of maybe your humility or mm-hmm. the way you've been conditioned, you think, no, I, there's no, right. like, maybe mine is just like a, right. something else right. or something that, of that category. But not the same level, right? But then it's like, is it coming from some a level of like, um, kind of putting yourself lower, right? And is that really true, right? Yeah. So this is a very important topic, and I think uh, in the next conversation I will talk more about some of the research that I've been doing. But just to introduce it, um, so there have been two, there have been many more than two, but two leading figures on in mysticism, mm-hmm. right? In the theology of in psychology of mysticism. One is Stace, Walter Stace. So years ago, you know, he talked about how he believes that mystical mystics all over the world are having the same type of experience. Mm. It's almost the same with regards to specific types of mystical experiences. Yeah. A mystic in Spain and a mystic in India and a mystic elsewhere, anywhere else, is having the same type of mystical experience behind all of it. Mm. Then comes later philosophers, right? Then come later philosophers, for example, Stephen Katz. And Katz says, no. What's happening is the context, the socio-cultural context in which the mystic grew up, they're bringing the mystical experience to their mystical experience. Mm. So, So a person who is 
born in Spain versus a person who is born in India, let's say a Hindu and a Christian. A Hindu is having a Hindu experience and a Christian is having a Christian experience. Their language and their context is inseparable from their experience. So the question then comes is, is there a universal mystical experience or is your culture, your language and your society and your family conditioning your mystical Mm. experience? That's where the discourse is at. Yeah. And that's where I think our conversation may need to yeah, go. That would be a beautiful conversation. Yeah. I have much to say on that as well. Yeah. 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 I think what we can do, the one thing, and because we, we have been talking about mysticism, mm-hmm. it might help for the audience because I know some people might not understand exactly what we're talking about. What is a mystic? What is mm-hmm. mysticism? If you, don't, if you wouldn't mind kind of talking about that a little bit, like what is a mystic? Right. What are we exactly talking about here? And right. Then, like what is... Um, mysticism or a mystical experience kind of just to kind of give some you know uh, right background right sure and then of course you can answer it as well um well at least in the field of theology and religious studies right it, this this word mystic is trying to be defined constantly right mm. it's defined and redefined as we're trying to define anything um i think in any given religious tradition the majority of people are following certain rules and principles and uh, the status quo of believing and acting in a certain way through certain rituals and acts and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Whether it's through a text or whether it's through a certain community of people. Yeah. Then comes the mystic who all of a sudden decides to sometimes act differently, mm. behave differently, and emphasizes the inner experience, inner experience. constantly emphasizing inner experience, inner experience, defining themselves in the world and in the universe based on their inner experience, mm. right? And this often is opposite to what that community is saying. Is saying or so, doing, yeah. So in the Abrahamic context, right, you have these belief in uh, a messenger and this one God that is separate. The mystic will come in and say, no, this God is me and I am that God and here's my experience, Yeah. right? Yeah. Which we know in Indian traditions, in Indian philosophical traditions, uh, there's both views, and yeah. both of them are is not as controversial there as yeah. in Abrahamic traditions. In Abrahamic traditions, if you say that you're God, it's there's more of a consequence. Yeah, but yeah. in these Indian philosophical traditions, it's okay. My neighbor says that <laughs> he's God, yeah. and the other neighbor says that God's over there. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, what what do you think? Um, I think is yeah. yeah similar to what you said that mm-hmm. um, this kind of difference between just believing in someone else's experience. Mm-hmm. And then actually having your own uh, direct experience. Right, right. I think that's where the difference between just a practitioner or just a believer and versus a mystic mm-hmm. or a, a saint mm-hmm. or like a seer or the other, a sage, right? Right. These different words we might give to that mm-hmm. same, to mm-hmm. that, you know? So like sy- synonyms for that or like a, 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 a true yogi, mm-hmm. right? Um, is someone that is... Not just believing, but having some level of direct experiential knowledge. Direct experiential. And, you know, and um, having some, yeah, a direct spiritual experience and not just believing someone else's experience. Exactly. And that's where that difference is for me. Yeah. That's a very good point. That's that I forgot to mention that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The direct experience of something as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, hey, everyone is saying this. So I think let's just have faith in this. And that's yeah. what it is. Not to undermine that. That's a... That's most religiosity, I think. That okay, yeah. here is the here is the belief system. Here are the practices. Here is the text. If there is a text, and that's what people are doing, and potentially even the like the the initial steps mm-hmm. or the foundation to like to then work towards that. Right, mm-hmm. you have to start 
sometimes in order to actually do something or have a certain experience, you have to first believe that it's possible. Yep. You know? Or like believe that someone has had it. Mm -hmm. And you can start to work towards that or like, you know, feel that like I can then also do that, which is what we're kind of saying here is Mm -hmm. like, don't just believe that someone else had that experience, which is what we're kind of in a way providing a transition from believer to one of of an experience, you know, of one that experiences. It is don't just believe that someone else can have an experience mm-hmm. or that they did. At least entertain the thought that you might as well be. Yeah, able to, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. You know, um. So again, pseudo Dionysius, when he's writing his letter to uh, to that individual, he says, "If you want the mystical experience of union, go upwards. Look up. He says, abandon every concept that you know about God, about Christ, about anything." abandon it all mm. so whatever you're told whatever you feel that is is conceptual and that just abandon it yeah. because that's not going to help you it's limited by word and remember he's situated within the abrahamic context oh, wow. so he's saying abandon these concepts yeah, right yeah. and then saint Teresa of avila much later mm-hmm. right says she gives the analogy of a silkworm that wraps itself into a cocoon and then turns into a butterfly. Yeah. Saying, look how beautiful the silkworm is. We are the silkworm that wraps ourselves into Christ. And then we come out differently. Mm. But in order to experience union with God, you have to die, die, die. Yeah. And then you will see God. That's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of removing concepts and this death of something yeah. Yeah, is there. That's beautiful. That's so yeah. beautiful. And I think... This kind of gives a little taste of what our next you know, conversation will be. And we'll dive deeper into yeah. mystics and the mystical experience and exploring that in even deeper um, layers and, and elements. Right? 100%. We've, we've talked about that. We want to have that conversation as well. 100%. Stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned. So we're giving a little <laughs> bit of a teaser for the next episode, right? And, um, to so. theaters near you. <laughs> or podcast, um, podcast platforms <laughs> <laughs> accessible to you. Um, but once again, beautiful conversation, Hamel. Yes, like God went deep, yes, and yes. extracted a whole lot out. And I think um, people will have a lot to think about, yes. and their brains might hurt as yeah. well. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we could have gone for four more hours, yeah. We could have, we, we're, <laughs> we're just being easy on you guys. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the first time they're hearing us at this level, maybe, right? Let's um, let's, let's warm them up, <laughs> yeah. Sounds good, sounds good, you know. Um, but yeah, we extracted a lot of information. And a lot for people to think about. Um, but yeah, um, so I appreciate you being here. Before you, before we end this, where can people follow you? Mm. you know, let's let's promote you a little bit. You know, you're here, <laughs> you're on my podcast. Sure, so sure. You got to return the favor a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so uh, my YouTube channel is the Academy of Indian Philosophy. Uh, you could go on my website, theacademyofindianphilosophy.com for, you know, sort of courses and tutoring and stuff like that. Or you could just, you know, just email me, academyofindianphilosophy at gmail.com for for whatever, you know, if you have any certain questions about Sanskrit and yoga and stuff. So, um, yeah, just follow me there. And it's also on Instagram as well. I believe Instagram is, what is it? Indian philosophy underscore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there we go. Cool. It's always hard to self-promote, man. Yeah. You know, it's got to like, you gotta, <laughs> okay, here's, here's, the, uh, here's the stuff. Yeah. Just take it. Just take it yeah. But it's, <laughs> Thank it's, you. Also, it's also needed. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Here, you know, why not? Maybe people want, might want to explore for sure. more, you know, for what sure. you're offering. Yeah, for the, for the, definitely for the listeners who are interested in uh, these philosophies, I'm very happy to help out in that, yeah. you know. There, there is 
there's a lot of interest in uh especially yoga philosophy as well and having it done right you know yeah. in the sense of at its deep complexity so yeah and yeah, yeah. i think you do it beautifully and so yeah. i think people can definitely benefit by connecting to you so <laughs> and so i'm gonna do some self-promotion for myself as sure well, might as well. wait let me ask you let me ask you though so you're now self-promoting uh-huh. uh so can you tell me a little bit about your, oh, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, what you do man I just told you to where, do where, yeah where can i where can i find you where can people find you so the, for the people that aren't connected to instagram that are just you know listening to this from other other platforms um on, on instagram at tasting bliss you can find me and also for the people that are wanting because we talked about you know my sessions and the potentiality that exists within them so the people that are interested in that can um can go to my instagram page and, and just to, to the link in my bio you know book a session or book a discovery call if you're wanting to see what is there to offer or if it resonates with you of the potential you know road that we can go on in terms of healing and and growing spiritually so yeah that's some self some self-promotion for yeah, well it's not self because i asked you so no oh, longer, yeah, exactly. yeah, so we're good <laughs> <laughs> so thanks yeah definitely check out all of this stuff it's very very interesting for sure yeah. and the uh, emerging podcasts for sure yes, very so interesting stay tuned subscribe if you haven't yeah yeah subscribe subscribe <laughs> like comment <laughs> anything any feedback is good yeah all feedback whether to me or him yeah through our instagram pages is more than welcome um we're looking to improve we're looking to share we're looking to um be of uh of service yep in essence right this yeah. is like it's fulfilling for, for us to explore these topics but it's also very fulfilling for us to be of service mm-hmm. and to help people on this path in, what, in whichever way that we can yeah, and we were just talking about this. Like, we all have different skills and inclinations. You know, you have different skills and inclinations. I do as well. And so, creating a community of people and being connected to people with connected. different skills and strengths is yeah. so powerful. Yeah, being able to reach out, have these conversations, uh, in such a loving way. You know, it's just it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You know? and it's through these conversations and through reaching out to each other that mm-hmm. we're able to form this community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we might be able to share our strengths with you and you might be able to share your strengths with us. Yeah. And that's how, you know, beautiful, harmonious community right. can, can form. Right. And, and and an openness of vulnerability. Like, let's let's start asking the questions that we have to ask. Let's be open and fully, like, without judgment, really yeah. trying to understand each other yeah. and all of us, you know. Yeah. That's beautiful, so. beautiful. Um, we're starting and this conversation sure. <laughs> on and yeah. um so thank you everyone for tuning in thank and you for being with us for this beautiful and um intricate journey <laughs> of the mind and of philosophy and um, spirituality mm. and um so thank you for tuning in and um hope to see you in the next episode and so all right goodbye guys take care much uh, love much love <laughs> bye-bye